Good morning, everyone. We thank you for tuning in to this lesson once again. And we pray that you'll be blessed in hearing the word of God this morning. Before we begin the lesson, let's go to the Lord in prayer and give thanks. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning ever needful, always grateful for your goodness and for your mercy to us. Father, we know the days are certainly confusing as we look around, but we know, Father, that you are not the author of confusion. So please help us, Father, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Please, Father, forgive us of our sins and these deeds of the flesh. We pray that you would help us to walk and abide in the Holy Spirit and to be about doing your will. Please remember, Father, the many prayer requests throughout our church family and throughout our community. May they be touched, Father, and uh, to your glory. And please, Father, grant us the grace to continue on, Father, as you so ever will. We praise you and thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's lesson is titled, Serve, and it's from Galatians chapter 5 and uh, some verses in chapter 6. The point of the lesson today is to seize the opportunity to serve. In recent weeks in this section of our book, we've talked about dealing with messy relationships, and we've touched on love, encourage, forgive, and this week we're going to talk about serve. Too many people today build their relationships around what they can get out of the other person. Such people only contact friends if they need something. They might help the person if they can get something in return. Our relationships would thrive much better if instead of focusing on how the other person can help us, we focus on how we can help and serve the other person. The setting. Though saved by grace, some of the Galatian believers had been beguiled into believing they had to be circumcised and obey the Mosaic law in order to be fully Christian. Paul was bewildered as to how these Gentile believers could have been so easily taken captive by this false teaching. Paul sets out to explain the preeminence of faith to them in chapters 2 through 4, followed by the ethical implications of that theology in chapters 5 and 6. And that's what we'll talk about today. Highlighting a freedom defined by faithful service to other people. Let's go ahead and read our verses here this morning. But before we do, in the Galatian church, Paul sends the same message to them that he talks about in chapters 14 and 15 in the book of Romans. 
and also to the Corinthian church uh, in chapters 8, verses 1 through 13. Uh, getting a little ahead of myself here, but we'll uh, come right back to this book right here. These new believers were called to be free in Christ, and they were not bound, they were not bound or slaves, so to speak, to the Mosaic law or any other law or human ordinance that might have kept them from enjoying the freedom of their newfound faith. Paul also, Paul also warns against taking this freedom too far. This freedom is designed to set us free from the bondage of the law and bring us to a new liberty in serving Christ. Absolutely do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And in chapter, in verse 13, uh, Paul speaking to the Galatians, For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That's talking about fighting and dissension within the church family. It's a detriment. It's feeding right into what the devil wants. And we're, we're not to be about that. Now we go over here to Galatians chapter 6. And Paul says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing, in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. We have one more verse here, verse 10. And this is a summation of what Paul is talking about here in these first eight verses, eight or nine verses in chapter six. As we therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now we'll go back here to this book that I started to jump right into and get ahead of ourselves basically what Paul is saying in verses uh, 
13. Brethren, you have been called to freedom, which is liberty. Only make not your freedom grounds to satisfy the flesh, but rather enslave yourselves one to another by the bondage of fervent love. A born-again man walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, walking in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, will never use His freedom from the law as an opening to sin. He will never use that freedom to deliver Him from the obligation of living a holy, righteous, godly life. The grace of God, now don't miss this here, the grace of God which brings this liberty teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. The believer is indeed free from the law, but the love of Christ in the heart of the believer constrains him to live blameless, pure, and upright. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And read chapters 6 in the book of Romans 1 through 15. Shall we continue in sin because we are not under the law of Moses, but under the grace of God? God forbid. No, we shall, should not. Now, after commanding the Galatians to serve one another, Paul then notes, For all the law is fulfilled in the single command to love our neighbors. Now up to this point in Galatians, Paul has spoken negatively of the law. He declared that no person can be justified by the law in chapters 2 and 3. He speaks of dying to the law in chapter 2, as well as the curse of the law back in chapter 3, and that it represented the old era of slavery in contrast to the new era of salvation. Now, in citing Leviticus 19.18 as a way to fulfill the law, Paul follows the pattern of Jesus in response to the question of a scribe about the greatest commandment. Jesus first cites Deuteronomy 6.5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And then he adds uh, Leviticus 19:18, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the point seems to be that the way to fulfill the law 
is by fulfilling the intent of the law, by loving one another through the power of the Spirit. Every born-again child of God is indwelt with the, with the Holy Spirit of God. Yet we are still in this flesh. We still have this sin nature in us, and that sin nature wars against the Spirit of God. Paul's agitators in Galatia expressed grave concern that he dismissed the significance of fulfilling the law. <clears throat> Paul responds that if believers are interested in fulfilling the law, that they are to walk in love for others. The intent of the law was to create one people, one family bound together by love of God and love for another. And here in verse 15, concern for the interests of other believers builds up the church. But conflict in, it ranks, in its ranks inevitably break down those efforts. God wants us to be unified in this church family. We have to be patient with fellow believers. And by the fruits of the Spirit, we are able to do that with uh, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul warns that if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And the term for bite is used to describe the attack of a snake. And devour uh, speaks of animals such as wild dogs that devour uh, their prey. Consuming one another in spiteful discord leads to the destruction of the fellowship of the church and the loss of its effective witness to a world already infected with pandemic sinfulness. Sin is rampant everywhere. And when we come into the sanctuary, we should love one another. We should uh, have concerns one for another. And don't be given to gossip, backbiting, and those type of things. Satan's done his job if he can get the church to take its focus off of doing God's will. Here in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Paul talks of a man be overtaken in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now we're going to talk, what, what's that mean, sir? Well, I thought we were going to talk about serving. Well, this is what serving uh, talks about. One of the aspects of serving others is that we help them carry their burdens. Rather than exhibit destructive attitudes and actions, believers are to help one another. <clears throat> Paul addresses these believers as brethren, and that signals a new uh, topic, but also emphasizes 
their spiritual kinship and his warm feelings for them. He gives the example of someone overtaken in a fault. The phrase can mean discovered in the act of sinning. It can have the sense of someone suddenly being overtaken and overwhelmed by a strong temptation that results in a slip or a lapse. And there's not a one of us that is above this happening to us. We need to constantly guard our hearts because Satan is always looking for an opportunity to trip us up. Paul asserts that those who are spirit-filled, we have a responsibility to restore that person. Restore carries the idea of setting something right again, like mending a fishing net or setting a broken bone. Who among the Galatian Christians should attempt that restoration? It's clear from the whole of the letter that Paul considers all believers to possess or be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The word spiritual refers to Christians who follow the Spirit's leadership, who are led by the Spirit, exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, and walk in step with the Spirit. The restoration was to be done in the spirit of meekness, rather than with a harsh, judgmental attitude. Paul has listed meekness as the eighth virtue in his description of the fruits of the Spirit. The old saying is you can catch a lot more flies with honey than you can vinegar. So if you want to help someone and get their attention, you go to them in the spirit of meekness and in love and not condemning and judging them. A brother who has fallen into sin needs help. He doesn't need your judgment. Now think of ways that we naturally serve ourselves. Now when your body needs food, you're probably going to head to the fridge or head to McDonald's. When your body calls out for sleep, you're looking for a pillow or a blanket or to recline in that recliner, as I've been known to do. When your body feels like you maybe need some exercise, you might take the dog for a walk. This type of self-service is not necessarily bad, but Paul challenges us to serve others just as faithfully as we serve ourselves. We serve our needs. We can serve others when they have needs. Make investments in others until it becomes a habit, the natural way of doing your life. Look for opportunities to serve other people. God will, will present these opportunities if we're paying attention and abiding in the Holy Spirit. That the, spirit, the work of restoration should be carried out with meekness. Meekness connotes a submissive and a teachable spirit toward God that manifests itself in genuine humility and consideration towards others. 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The work of restoration should also be done cautiously, since the flesh continues to exercise influence even over Christians, the danger exists that those seeking to restore another person would either, one, fall into the same wrongdoing. You might face the same temptation and do way worse than the person you think needs the help. So watch out for your own self. Or you might also, and Satan loves this one too, that pride, that arrogance, congratulating yourself for your sinlessness and display arrogance and attitude at the core of the flesh. These six things doth the Lord hate. And the top one, seven are an abomination to him. The top one is pride. The Lord hates pride. Not only were the spiritual, which are mature Christians, responsible to restore fellow believers, we are also responsible to bear ye one another's burdens. Burdens here refers to a load that is too heavy to bear alone. It means a heavy weight or a stone an individual has to carry over a long distance. The work of carrying another's heavy baggage was usually the responsibility of a slave. Now, what kind of burdens are we talking about? There's not an exhaustive list, but here's some things that we can think about. And I know it touched me because these are some of the very things that I find burdensome for my life. What about the temptation to sin? Anybody out there this morning have any physical illnesses? What about mental disorders? Financial issues, especially in light of today's uh, situation. Unemployment. Anybody got a family crisis this morning that's burdensome to you? I know we do. How about spiritual or demonic oppression? Satan after you? Do you fill your mind with thoughts that you know are not from God? In Galatians 6, 1 through 2, Paul was emphasizing that Christian freedom was not freedom to indulge every desire, but it meant the freedom to enslave ourselves to others by helping them, uh, to others in love by helping them. This kind of burden bearing fulfills the law of Christ. Justification comes about by faith in Christ alone. Paul's reference to the law of Christ here offers a further reminder that commitment to Christ does not mean freedom from responsibility. You don't just get saved and go sit on the sidelines and wait on the next bus leaving for heaven. God's got work for you to do, and you should be about your father's business. God has gifted you in special ways that you should be exercising to his glory 
and for his kingdom. We must be spiritually minded uh, to do these things. God's grace is evident on every page of the Old Testament. And not the least of which was the calling of Israel simply by God's gracious choice. God chose Israel. Israel didn't choose him. The Christian obligation to live obediently to Christ permeates every page of the New Testament. But what did Paul mean by the law of Christ? That it is shorthand for Jesus' teaching that the whole law could be summed up in the commandment to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Certainly, the work of restoration and burden-bearing offer fitting examples of what love for neighbor might look like in the church. That Paul had already related the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself to the fulfillment of the law. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love the neighbor, love thy neighbor as thyself. It is clear that Christians have a responsibility to offer spiritual help as well as other kinds of help to other believers in obedience to Christ's command to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's how we fulfill the law of Christ. We are not to consider ourselves to be superior to others. You're walking in dangerous territory when you start thinking too highly of yourself and start looking down on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pride cometh before a great fall and how great it might be. Elevating themselves and putting others down would prevent them from restoring erring believers and helping bear other people's loads. Also, such pride is self-deception. Arrogant people have lost touch with reality. To believe one is superior to others not only cuts you off from bearing the burdens of others, it also means that one fails to recognize his or her own need for help in carrying burdens as well. You have a burden to bear this morning as well. We have to take, a spirit-filled believer has to take responsibility for himself or herself. The flesh distorts any attempt to make an honest assessment of ourself. Self-deception and pride go hand in hand as twin agents of the flesh. The fleshly tendency is to select others with whom we look favorable by comparison. It would be like, well, I, I feel pretty good about myself because look at so-and-so. They're an absolute mess. We're, we're not to do that. We need to prove our own work that we will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Prove means to put something to the test. Make a close examination of something. To test by fire of gold to determine its purity. 
Verse 4 is kind of like Jesus saying here, uh, remove the beam out of your eye before you attempt to take the moat out of someone else's. For verse 5 here, for everyone, every man shall bear his own burden. Burdens means something oppressive in this verse, particularly oppressive, whether the burden of obedience to the law or the tyranny of temptation. This was a weight that no individual could carry alone. We are to seek to help fellow believers when the temptations or burdens of life threaten to overwhelm them. Now the word burden in verse 5 talks about a weight that a person can and must carry alone. That would include maybe a backpack or cargo on a ship. In writing that each person must carry his or her own load, Paul calls on believers to take responsibility to themselves before God. The individual believer alone is answerable to God as to how he or she lives life. Whether he or she does what he or she does with his or her own life. In relation to the gift of salvation, he or she has been given. Now in verse 10, and I'll wrap it up here pretty soon. As we therefore have... As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In the 17th chapter of John, you see that Jesus prays for the believers, and his prayer is primarily to the, in the interest of, of his children here on earth. We are to do good to all men, but we are to do good especially unto the household of faith, Christian brothers and sisters. John tells us the same thing in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. This is all pertaining to verse 10. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Believers should help believers. We should share with believers. We should bear one another's burdens. We should help each other financially when we see a brother in need. We should help each other in any way that we can help our fellow man. The person who gives his money 
his time and his energy in the things of the world and in fleshly interest is sure to reap corruption. But the person who invests time, money, and energy in cultivating spiritual and heavenly things is sure to reap a heavenly harvest and a life more abundant. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And these words here go along with this verse of serving others and helping other people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 6 through 11. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth, remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Don't come up with the old excuse, well, I can't serve nobody. I, I don't have anything to give. I, what am I supposed to do? God will provide everything you need if you'll make yourself available. Uh, to be use of God. The final reaping, the final harvest will be when the Lord re returns. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That's from James chapter 5, verses uh, 7 and 8. When we love our fellow man as we should, we will not see him suffer. If we are able to help him concerning the material things that have to do with the body. Christianity can be summed up in one short word, love. God is love and we love him because he first loved us. All the law and all the prophets hang on the two commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is there anybody that you know of this morning that maybe needs some help? Maybe they need a phone call. Maybe you need to touch base. Or I know we're not to 
go around anybody right now or not without social distancing, but maybe send them a card, uh, call them, give them some encouragement, be in prayer how we might help uh, our brothers and sisters. And uh, think about how other people have served you and how have you served other people. Think about that. Think about a time, when is the, the best service that, that you ever received? Maybe it was in a restaurant. Maybe it was somewhere else. Maybe it was in the hospital, how someone took care of you. Take note and remember of how someone blessed you that you might have a desire to bless someone else. I thank you this morning, and uh, we pray that you'll watch over uh, that God will watch over each and every one of you this coming week and let's all be in prayer for our president and the leadership in light of this pandemic thank you